As we come to our sermon this morning, we are looking at the idea of, are you shining? And as I mentioned earlier, we will be looking at the transfiguration of Jesus. I'm going to be reading the first part of our scriptures this morning. That's going to be coming to us from Luke chapter 9. That is available to you in your worship guide. So if you want to follow along with me, that can be done um, through the paper in your worship guide. Let me read our passage for us this morning. Truly, I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went out onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became white as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. As we look at the story of the transfiguration as it is known, This story appears in all of the synoptic gospels. So the first three gospels of our New Testament, this story appears here. So tell us that this is something that is important. But one of the things that we see out of this story is that it can be difficult to understand what its importance is. It is not a story that is explained. It is not a story that when it is told in any of the gospels lays out why it is taking place in the sense of what do we need to pull from that. It is the idea, as the story is explained, it should all make sense to us. And as I go through it this morning, I'm going to help it try and make sense to us to see what is being brought to us, what truth is coming out of this story, and what that means for us today. We're going to be looking at five things out of this story. We're going to be seeing that we have a glowing Jesus, and then this glowing Jesus encounters Moses and Elijah. And then these two people speak with Jesus about his exodus. And we'll explain how that term is put in there. And then we see Peter's blunder. Peter opens his mouth and maybe says something that wasn't so helpful to say. And then we see God's voice come in and speak to all of them. First thing that we want to see is this idea of this glowing Jesus. And it's important to know that this idea of Jesus as we begin to um, see the story is that it links back to verse 27, which is the very beginning spot that we began our reading. And as Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he tells them that some of you here will see the kingdom of God. And then as he talks about people seeing the kingdom of God, then we move into this story of the transfiguration of which Jesus appears radically changes and he turns into this glowing figure, this shining figure that affects not only who he is and his person, but also his clothes and his attire join 
into that. And so as we see this idea, what is the kingdom of God then? If they're looking upon it, what exactly is the kingdom of God? And this is a, a term that is used or a phrase that is used 31 times in the book of Luke, which is to say it keeps coming up again and again. It is a theme that runs through this, um, this gospel account of Jesus, the kingdom of God. And it can be used in different ways depending upon the circumstance. So that's what makes it a little bit hard to say when you bring a definition to this phrase. It can be a little hard because at times it's used this and at times it's used that and at other times it's used this. But as we come and say, what does this mean, the kingdom of God? I think a working definition for us this morning is that which pleases God. So as we think, the kingdom of God is that which pleases God. And as um, they, we find in this story, what do we see? We find Jesus shining in a heavenly splendor, in a heavenly glory, joined by Moses and Elijah, who also look the same. Let's look and read this verse together as we see this explained for us. Let's read together. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Jesus, in this great, as it's described there, bright as a flash of lightning. People are looking upon the kingdom of God. And as they look upon the kingdom of God, there is this reminder that life is beyond this earthly life. Jesus didn't look like he looks to them then. Jesus didn't look to him like he looked like the rest of his life. There was something a little different. There was something glorious. There was something amazing. There was something shining about Jesus during that moment. And as they looked upon and saw the kingdom of God, it was this reminder that there's something beyond this life. And who did they see? They also see Moses and Elijah, people who've been dead for hundreds of years. But while those people might be dead to us, they are indeed alive in God. And that is one of the hopes that we bring out of this passage, is that there is life beyond the now. That the kingdom of God, that which pleases God that we look forward to, is a reunification with those who have gone before us. And I want you to come as we move through this story. That's one of the first things I want you to know. There is hope to see those that you have lost. As our passage continues, we're going to look now at the arrival of Moses and Elijah. And so one of the questions that we have to ask is why these two people, why of all the people that could come and appear to Jesus during this moment, do we have Moses and Elijah? And these are two of the most important figures that we would have out of our Old Testament. And so as we look through the Old Testament, it's often summarized with the idea of it being the law and the prophets. And so even as they look back and say, hey, the law and the prophets, it's a reference to what in our scriptures we know as the Old Testament. And when it comes to the law, who received the law? Who do we think about when we hear the word law? You think Moses. You think Moses. Moses is important. Moses is important. And then we think of prophets. Who's the prophet that is of most renown? 
Who's the prophet that they, when they first encountered the Jesus, they thought it might have been this prophet come back because that prophet was so powerful. It's Elijah, of course. And so we have these two figures who are two perhaps of the most notable figures of our Old Testament accounts who are appearing before Jesus. But these similarities between Moses and Elijah and then with Jesus go beyond uh, maybe just some of the kind of initial blush stuff. Let's kind of um, look at some of this. One of the things we see with these two is that they also performed miracles. And miracles aren't common in the Bible. You know, we kind of have this idea like, you know, every page on the Bible is a miracle. And, and it's really not that case at all. And in fact, if you were to look through the story of the Bible, the miracles are very infrequent. And certainly as we see the gospel accounts of Jesus, we see numerous miracles in there, all of which are pointing to Jesus truly as the Son of God. But as we look through the rest of the scripture, they, they just kind of pop up here and there. You know who they're kind of popping up around a little bit? Well, they're popping up around Moses, of course, because Moses was a part of God's tool in bringing about some of the incredible miracles. Perhaps you've heard of the splitting of the Red Sea and people marching through. Yeah, Moses was at the front of that line. And then when we look at Elijah, another great miracle worker, calling down fire from heaven, raising people from the dead. Two incredible miracle workers. One of the things we also see as we look at Moses and Elijah and see their similarity with Jesus is that they are both people who experience 40-day fast. Once again, not a common thing that we find in the scriptures. And we're going to, as we go and look at Moses and Elijah, we're going to see that they had this experience with God's presence. And a part, immediately before their experience with God's presence or a part of that, there is a 40-day fast. And as I say that, hey, who, who, when you hear 40-day fast, Jesus. We think of Jesus during his time of temptation, which was a 40-day fast. And certainly then, as I mentioned just a moment ago, Moses and Elijah are two people who physically experience and interact with God. Once again, that is not a common thing in the story of the Bible. But these are two people who do that. And in fact, as we think of their experience with God, I would say that Moses is unrivaled in his physical closeness to God. It begins with the burning bush as he has this conversation with God and this dialogue that takes place. And even in the scriptures, it talks about this tent of meeting. And we're told that as Moses entered this tent of meeting out of Exodus 33, 11, we're told this, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. As one speaks to a friend, Moses, in fact, is able to see the very glory of God as he looks upon the back of God. And Moses is shielded away, as it's described in the scriptures, as the cleft of the rock. And that's going to bring us into our second reading today. And we're going to be um, reading a little bit about Moses as he is, is experiencing the presence of God. And that's going to come to us out of Exodus 34, beginning in verse 29. And I want to provide a little bit of context for us before reading. And it's this, is that Moses has received the Ten Commandments from God. And as he comes down with the Ten Commandments, he comes upon the people who are worshiping this golden calf. These people who've been miraculously delivered out of Egypt, and now they've turned from God so quickly. And Moses, in his frustration, takes the tablets that have been inscribed by God. Literally, God wrote on these tablets. Moses throws them down and they are shattered. 
And then Moses is going to need to go back up and spend a little bit more time with God to get new tablets. And as we see Moses making this time up uh, for the second version of these Old Testament law that will be provided for him on the tablets, Moses is never uh, shown as doing the wrong thing. And that's, that's where we begin to see Moses in the very presence of God. And this is the story of Moses receiving the second tablets. And as he has received those, he comes back down to the people. We'll see that his countenance has physically changed. I'm going to be reading for us from Exodus 34, beginning in verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near to him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Perhaps you were following along there as we see Moses, as he comes back down with these commands, and his face is truly shining, and he's unaware of it. And they see him, and they're like scared. And Moses' face is shining so much because he's been in the presence of God, and he's speaking to God as a friend speaks to a friend. And his face is so radiant that he must cover and shield it. And yet when Moses goes to convene with God again, what does he do? Let's the veil down. Moses' face is shining, so resembling here this transfiguration that we see of Jesus. As we think of what did Jesus look like as he was shining there on that night, the idea that we have, he was probably shining a lot like Moses shined. As Moses taught with God, as a person talks to a person. And what of our friend Elijah, this third person who is there on the mountain? Elijah is someone who is having conversations with God. And in fact, in the story of Elijah, we find Elijah who is sequestered away. He's off by himself. And as he's there by himself, the Lord begins to speak to him. And the Lord says this. He says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Elijah's told, hey, the very presence of the Lord is coming. Go out and receive it. And as you might remember from that story, as Elijah is out there, called upon to experience the presence of God, a wind comes through, and an earthquake comes through, and a fire comes through, and we're told the Lord was in none of these. But then a gentle whisper is heard. It is the very voice of God talking with Elijah. But why these two people? Because they have experienced God's presence like none other before. And what do they talk about? What do Moses and Elijah talk about with Jesus? They talk about Jesus' exodus. In the passage, it talks about Jesus' departure. But the word that is used there is 
Exodus. Um, in fact, um, we're going to read the passage together. And um, in capital letters, you will see the actual transliteration of the Greek word there um, that they are talking about. And it, if you're like, that looks a lot like the word Exodus. Absolutely, it, it does. Um, let's read this together. They spoke about his Exodus, which he was about to bring fulfillment at Jerusalem. And so what they have is they're in a conversation with Jesus. And they're talking about Jesus' time of leaving this earth. And as they are speaking to him, there is no doubt that Jesus is in great angst, great discouragement, because he has become aware, if we were to look just prior to this passage, not only here in this gospel account, but in the other two gospel accounts, we see that Jesus has become aware and vocalized to his father that he indeed will die. And as he comes to this realization, as he speaks to him, there is this incredible sense of loneliness. And as we know through the story of Jesus, he didn't want to die. You know, and sometimes we can think, oh, resurrected, it's going to be fine. But Jesus did not want to die. And as he comes to that awareness, he is in great sorrow, great grief, and probably great loneliness. And who do we have that is speaking to him at this time? It's Moses and Elijah. Do these people know a little bit about discouragement? You bet they do. You bet they do. I talked about Moses earlier. I talked about him coming down and finding the people worshiping that golden calf. And Moses, there as he comes down, a part of that process. He says, hey, if you're with God, come with me. And there's this group of Levites who are people who work a part of this group of the religious leaders. And they, they come with Moses and in the process. 3,000 of their own people are killed. As Moses seeks to regain control of these people who have left their God. Moses is frustrated. Moses knows what it's like to be disappointed. What about Elijah? Oh, we hear the stories of Elijah, of these great miracles, and that's absolutely true. But also running through that story of Elijah is a discouragement that is oh, so almost unmatched by anyone we see in the scriptures. Because Elijah was alone, always alone. And he feels like he's the only one standing up for God in a world pulling in upon himself. And in fact, as we find Elijah here just before he physically experiences God, he is ready to end his life. He is ready to be done. He's begging for death. Let it be over. We see God's presence come upon him to give him the encouragement that he needs. As we think, what two better people speak to Jesus in this moment of his own great discouragement, his own hurt, his own pain, Jesus recognizing his own death, Here's a little something that was different. Jesus from Moses and Elijah. You see, Moses and Elijah, they had the presence of God to minister. The very presence of God who came at their worst moments to provide them the encouragement they needed to go forward. Jesus. Jesus. He is the very presence of God. And as the very presence of God, he cannot comfort himself. Who does God the Father provide for him? Moses and Elijah. Two people more than anyone in the world, anyone who's lived before or lived after, might actually understand what Jesus is 
going through. We think of ourselves, what does this mean for us? I told you, as Jesus comes, he says, you're going to see the kingdom of God. This event is part of people seeing the kingdom of God. One of the things that we see here in this kingdom, that there is the power, the presence of others, especially in life's worst moments. The very worst of life. We want God with us. Sometimes we're like Moses and Elijah and we feel it, right? Sometimes it's almost like we have the voice of God who carries us through those most terrible moments. Sometimes we're like Jesus. We can't seem to get God's voice coming in, right? We've got two friends who will walk us along, who will carry that way. That's part of the kingdom of God that explains the kingdom of God, that which pleases our God. And as we think of this story of the transfiguration, find these in this account, the very human side of Jesus is being ministered to. And why does Jesus need this human side ministered to? Because he is entirely and completely God. Transfiguration. The clarity of Jesus, both human and divine. As we continue on in the story, we're going to be looking at Peter's blunder. And there are three disciples who are witnessing this, Peter, James, and John. And as uh, they wake up, um, they see what's going on. They kind of, you know, a little bleary moment. And they, they see this. And it seems like things are wrapping up. And it's just about to be over. And then Peter says, hey, let's build three shelters. And, you know, this seems like a good idea at the moment. You can, you can kind of track where Peter is thinking from. You know, as he sees Moses and Elijah, and then he sees Jesus, and he says, wow, you know, my friend Jesus, he's like a Moses, and he's like an Elijah, which under any other circumstances for anybody else in the world other than Jesus would be the finest compliment. You see, Jesus is the Son of God, and he is not like Moses, he is not like Elijah, and he's not to be put on equal standing. Jesus is completely human, but completely the Son of God, and he is to be elevated. And when Peter says that, that is his mistake. That is his blunder. Because he doesn't recognize the divinity of Jesus. As we think, do we make this blunder today? And we do. We absolutely do. And where I hear it is when we think of Jesus as the founder of Christianity. Perhaps you've heard that before. And we hear of other world religions. And, you know, you talk about the different founders and we talk about Buddha or Abraham or Muhammad or Confucius. Or maybe in the more modern things, we talk about uh, Jonathan Smith or, or Mary Baker Eddy. And we say they founded a religion like Jesus founded a religion. Jesus did not found a religion. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus provides relationship with our God and our creator. But let us not put Jesus on par with any of those people I just mentioned. The commentator here in the book of Luke, so as the story of the book of Luke is told, right? It's, it's told as a factual account. It's almost like an eyewitness story. I saw this, I saw this, so-and-so said this. And then in one of these rare moments in the book of Luke, we find the writer 
come and put his voice in. And what does the writer say as he commentates on this? He says, he did not know what he was saying. Peter didn't know what was going on. And so it's this voice to remind us, hey, Peter didn't get it. He did get it eventually, but not right now. And then we find as Peter opens his mouth, he does initiate the voice of God. And uh, God does respond as God speaks. It's almost like God is speaking there to the disciples. And I, as I was thinking of this story, you know, you're, you're there. Think, think, imagine if you put yourself into that story and you, you've got Jesus, right? The son of God. And we've got then the, the voice of God, the father coming to us from heaven. And if you think you've got those, those people around you and there's only two people talking. I'm thinking you don't want to be one of those two people. Um, but indeed, Peter was one of those two people. And then we hear God's voice comes through to bring clarification. As God's voice, it says, a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And as it comes to this idea of chosen, it's whom I have chosen. It can be maybe a little confusing to understand how that term is being used. But it's really the idea of a title and not a description. And so as a title, you would think of it as the chosen one. And so as the voice says, this is Jesus, the chosen one. Um, and so that's the way of understanding that. And as God's voice comes through, it provides confirmation that Jesus is the very son of God. And it provides instruction. The voice provides instruction. Listen to him. He listen, right? Because God, you know, Jesus is going to tell you some things that you, you're going to be like, let's say, well, come again. That doesn't make sense. I haven't heard that before. But it's a reminder of God. Listen to him. And for us today, likewise, just like the disciples, we need to listen to the instructions of Jesus. And for us, like Peter in this story, as we place our own assumptions upon Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. We hear that and we say, oh, but, you know, there's another way for other people. You know, there's lots of paths up. No, there's not a lot of a bunch of paths up the mountain. There's Jesus Christ. You know, we hear Jesus as he says, oh, take up your cross daily. Go die to yourself daily and follow me. We say, oh, that's fancy religious talk. That doesn't really apply to us. You know, it's kind of, no, no, that's what Jesus is saying. Go give up your life every day and follow him. You know, and Jesus talks about forgiving others and loving our enemies. I think Jesus never lived. Oh, don't even go there. Jesus knows a little bit about hurt and pain and betrayment. He knows what it's like for crowds to turn against him. As they were crucifying him, what did he say? Father, forgive let us forgive as well. And as we think of our stuff, as we, as we begin to close up this morning on the message, let us listen to Jesus. That is what we need to do. And let us shine out. Let us live out the fullness of God's potential in us. Let us live out the kingdom of God. Live the best that we can in serving our God. And the reality is our best will never be good enough. Our best will always fall short of the God's glorious standard. But wherever you are, whatever you've done in life, whatever your past, whatever gifts God has given you, whatever limitations God has put upon you, wherever it might be, I want you to live out the best 
that God has given you. Make the most of what God has given you in your own life. And for me, as I think about us doing that, you know, it's a little bit like a child's artwork. You know, perhaps you, you, you've had, you know, a four-year-old, a five-year-old who comes and shows you some artwork. And as you look at that, you know, they've done a good job. They put a lot of effort into it. Wow. Good job. Nice work. I think that's how God is with us. He looks at what we do. You know, and if we compare that child's artwork to a Rembrandt, it's not so good, is it? As we come before God, God's not like, hey, look, at, look, look what you can't do. Look at Jesus. He's perfect. You're never doing it. You know, God doesn't say that to us. God's like, got that child's artwork. And as we hand it to him, say, it's the best I could do. But I'll take it. I'll take it. And so I encourage you where you are now. Do the best that you can in following God. Do the best that you can in serving Jesus. Let that be your offering, your gift. To our God and Creator. Let's take a moment now and reflect upon this passage and this message. See how God might be speaking to you during this time.